This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Ruchika Tulshian to the show. Ruchika will share insight about the role of equity and inclusion in the future of work. Ruchika, welcome. I'm delighted to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, Caroline. Good, good. Well, you know, inclusion is a hot topic these days, but you take it a step farther and you talk about an intersectional approach to creating a culture of belonging at work. So I'd love for you to give a little background. How did you first start focusing on belonging and inclusion on purpose? This is a great question, Caroline. And what I like to say is that I've been doing this work before it became trendy. And now sometimes what's funny is when I'm having these conversations, people will say, um, oh, so, you know, I guess you were at the right place at the right time. And, you know, and, and did you just get into it in the last couple of years? And, I, and I'll say, no, it's actually been a whole decade since I started um, working on diversity, equity, inclusion, thinking about this for many, many decades, actually. Um, but essentially, one of the ways that I really got focused on intersectionality in the workplace is I started looking at the data and, of course, informed by my own experience and the conversations I was having um, of people who had multiple marginalized or historically underestimated identities in the workplace. You know, so I identify as a woman of color. I'm an immigrant. I'm a mother. And what I was finding is time and again, a lot of the overarching sort of narrative around uh, diversity and, you know, let's just bring in more women into the workplace really missed an important intersectional lens, which is what does it look like if you're a woman of color in the workplace? What does it look like if you're a woman with disabilities in the workplace? What does it look like if English is your second language and you are trying to um, you know, rise up in the American sort of corporate ladder or in the American corporate workforce. And so I became really laser focused at what does it mean to meaningfully and sustainably create cultures where everyone can belong, not just to assimilate into a dominant culture, but really one where everyone can bring their authentic selves to the workplace. Well, I thank you personally for this work. It is so important and impactful. But let's dive into the reality of the world that we're living in in 2022. We're still navigating an ongoing pandemic journey. Happily, things are getting better. However, it is still a challenge in the world of work. So what about the pandemic impact of specifically women and women of color in the workforce? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And unfortunately, we are seeing um, women just as a whole leaving the workforce in droves. Um, I read one statistic that at the end of last year, at the end of 2021, um, 13 million women had left the workforce during the pandemic and male employment had actually re uh, sort of regained right back to pre-pandemic levels. So we know that the disparity exists. We also know that it's much more pronounced for women of color who historically have been in lower paying jobs and more um, and jobs that really put them at high risk and are fairly hazardous, especially in these pandemic conditions. So I really think as we think about what would the world look like in this new normal where hopefully more of us can have a hybrid experience or return to some level of normalcy, 
what does it look like to really center those people who have been very disproportionately impacted by this pandemic? You know, it's interesting. I, I mentioned your book is called Inclusion on Purpose. And again, that that title is so visceral and so important. And you write about this gap between intention and action. Would you define that and and, and give us more on that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think one of the reasons why we see um, you know, not the type of meaningful progress, the opposite of the type of meaningful progress that we'd like to see around uh, greater gender diversity, racial diversity, diversity across various different measures, and then inclusion in the workplace is this gap between intention and action, right? So I think many people will say we have really good intentions, we care deeply about diversity and inclusion, you know, this makes sense to us. And then what starts to happen is, unfortunately, um, you know, there's a lack of personal responsibility and personal action to make that change. So I'll give you an example, right? So a statistic I really look to and I think informed a lot of why I wanted to write this, especially the second book, is I read a statistic uh, from PRRI that three quarters of white people in America don't have a single friend of color. And uh, for the average white American, 91% of um, their social network is white. And so when we think of how that plays out in the workplace, when it comes to who we want to refer for jobs, who we want to help with promotions and pay discussions and things like that, um, you know, we're hardwired to prefer people who look like us. And that's just a fact. And that's true. And, you know, it's not necessarily nefarious. But the reality is we need to take very intentional action to disrupt these ways of being, especially if we want to try and create the type of workplace that we all, you know, we had the intention, the good intentions to create. And so a lot of this work comes down to intentional action not just, you know, I believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, what are you doing about it? Oh, nothing. I just believe in it because I'm a good person. It's not just going to happen um, naturally. And so we all need to take personal responsibility for it. I really appreciate that accountability. You know, the DEI is on everybody's website. It's in uh, on the wall, on posters, or now we're doing a lot of remote work, but are we actually putting it into action? So the question there is, I fully agree. We each need to be individually accountable. Can we measure it? Is this a metric that we can measure? Yes and no. So I think that there are, um, you know, certain there's data and I, and I'm very data informed in all the work I've done, you know, in all these years, I started my career as a business journalist. So I was reading reports sort of day in and day out and reporting on that. So for me, the numbers matter a lot. And indeed, it's very important to, for example, if you're a leader, uh, whether you run, you know, an organization of one or whether you run an organization, you know, of a 10 or 100,000 people, it's really important to measure things like, are men and women being paid equally? And especially if you look at that from an intersectional lens, are women of color um, who, you know, we we know in the data show uh, historically are both impacted negatively by their race and gender. So they often experience a double jeopardy when it comes to uh, even pay equality. So, you know, the, that's very measurable. Are men and women getting paid the same? Are white people and people of color getting paid the same for the same jobs? I think always taking it one step further and looking at our 
um, you know, is is there a disparity that exists between the opportunity, you know, and, and the reality is, yes, there is the opportunity and access to those very high paying lucrative jobs disproportionately go to men, disproportionately go to white men in, in America, certainly. And so I think there are there are numbers you can measure, and I think that's very important. Both diversity and inclusion, in many ways, are measurable. You can run, you know, inclusion surveys. Are people, you know, comfortable here? Do they feel like they belong? They can bring their authentic selves to work. Often, all of these things are measurable. What isn't, and what's harder, and the most important sort of metric that isn't measurable is equity, right? And equity actually is a process, right? You will never be done. And that is where it gets really tricky. And equity looks at the barriers that exist today. What are the barriers that exist for, for example, women of color to get access to jobs at your organization or access to those higher paying jobs? Or what are the blockers for them to get promoted? And trying to remove those barriers is really where we make the biggest change. And often that's not measurable in any sort of neat, sexy metric, right? Often that's going to be having those conversations, having those hard conversations, looking at anecdotes to inform the experience of what people are really going through at your organization. And I think sometimes where there is some... um, you know, there's just a reluctance to move forward is when we look for data points across the board to make every single decision. And some of this is going to be anecdotal. If your organization only has a very small representation of women of color, well, you're not going to get, you know, 300 people saying the same thing, right? It could be three or four voices, but it is important to listen to those three or four voices and take action. Ruchika will be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So, Ruchika, I want to I want to flip the 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 next uh, focus of our conversation on what can we do, right? How can we boots on the ground get involved? And you and I chatted before the show. Uh, the majority of our listeners are women around the world, and you believe that women, in particular, diverse women, need to be involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in their organizations. So tell me more, what can we all do and be accountable in this to really move the needle? Yeah. And actually, I think the real work really starts from us as individuals. And that's really what I focus on in the first part of my book. And so I think about my own privilege, and I think it's possible to have both privilege and be oppressed in the same situation, right? And I think about my own experience. So I am a woman of color and there are incidents and moments and situations in my life where I don't have the influence to speak up or I feel like I'm being judged for what I'm doing. And I and I have data to prove that I've had, you know, like I've been paid unequally or had uh, barriers to, you know, progressing within the organization. And I can also have privilege and I also can have influence in, in other situations. 
And I think sometimes what happens, especially for women, um, is we get so focused and caught up in the ways that things didn't work out for us that we don't look at the ways that we can use our privilege for good. So one of the one of the ways that I've really thought about that is, you know, I've I've been really lucky to have a pretty uh, great career as a journalist and built some wonderful relationships in the media. And now when I, um, you know, when I meet younger women of color or even women of color kind of coming up the ladder and talking to me about how, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about this issue or that issue, or I'd love to write about this thing. I try and really make those connections with the media and try and make the connections with the editors that I've developed a relationship with, because I understand in that moment, I have the privilege and influence to do that. And, you know, I'm proud to say that I've had, I've helped at least 30 to 40 women get published in the media, women of color in various um, outlets, you know, and again, it's, I, I truly and firmly believe that talent is abundant, but opportunity is not. And so part of my role in this world and what I see my purpose as being is really trying to figure out where can I use my privilege and influence for good? Because I know that there's talent everywhere, but maybe not everyone has the opportunity to build the connections that I've had. So that's a very small, benign example of how we can all start using sort of our privilege for good, looking around us, taking stock of whose voices are missing today and what's the personal responsibility we can take to, you know, propel those voices forward? Thank you for that. So I, I want to flip it because I always try to think, uh, be empathetic and put myself in the shoes of the listener. So what about the woman listening who says, wow, I really need to make sure that my leader uh, understands how important inclusion is in the workforce. Maybe their leader is not a woman. Uh, maybe maybe she is. But what can leaders do now to develop an inclusion mindset that's actionable? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think it's, I mean, you know, this is why I wrote the book. So hopefully there can be a resource. And what, I, what, and what really spurred me to write the book, because, you know, I'll be honest, I really wasn't, you know, ready to write a second book, or I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do. Um, but what I started hearing again and again, especially when I was writing for Harvard Business Review is, you know, we use this article to open a conversation with our manager about, for example, I wrote about, you know, office housework and how women disproportionately uh, get saddled with office housework that doesn't lead to promotions and higher pay. Um, so what I started realizing is people were having, you know, using these as resources that were available, widely available to have those conversations point in time with their managers and then open up that discussion to further, you know, be like, okay, well, here's how this shows up in this organization. And it ended up being a safe way to have that conversation. So that's one of the reasons I would say that's probably the primary reason why I wrote this book. Um, and so, you know, I think having, having those conversations with leaders using resources such as articles, books, podcasts like this one is really helpful. It can be very meaningful and a safe way to open up the dialogue I also think part of developing an inclusion mindset is being okay to fail. And that's true, especially if you're a leader, for sure. You know, we know that failure eventually leads to success and that you can't be successful without failing. There's just no way. But I also think even for women who are listening, who may not be in a leadership position right now, but are aspiring to be a leader, again, having these conversations, being really open, being really vulnerable, I really think is one of the ways that we will see more leaders being open to having this discussion. And I and I have to say, you know, I, I teach um, 
you know, Gen Zers in in my in my classroom at, at Seattle University. And there's no doubt in my mind that the generation coming up, you know, is very focused on creating and being in inclusive workplaces and will actually turn down opportunities, um, you know, and, and turn down opportunities to work for workplaces that are not very inclusive. So I have to say it's, it's, it's becoming one of those things where it's like, you know, get with the program or get left behind. I, I agree with you about Gen Z. I find them inspiring because they lead with their values and it's actually changing our world of work for the better for everybody. So I, I applaud them. On that on that thread, tell me about what you envision as the future of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Are you are you hopeful? Do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Because it's been a long journey. Yeah. The reason why I do see light at the end of the tunnel is because when I think back to my own, you know, when I started this journey or when I started professionally working on creating inclusive workplaces, I remember working with clients or being invited to speak. And generally the mandate was, can you please not mention race and please don't talk about what racism looks like in the workplace? You know, I think it's too sensitive. And I really think we're beyond that. You know, we have now reached a place where when I get invited to speak, people want me or, or when I'm, you know, when I'm designing programs or when I'm speaking to um, within an organization or a client, when I'm speaking about diversity, equity, inclusion, there is absolutely no room for like saying things like, oh, well, race, you know, we don't talk about race here. We don't feel comfortable. And so I really feel inspired by the fact that we're having these conversations much more openly Obviously, there is a lot of work to be done, and I don't think we're going to be done anytime soon. Of course, my you know the 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 day that I'm kind of waiting for is that I render myself obsolete and I go on and do something very different with my life. But um, I I feel hopeful, um, cautiously optimistic is probably the way that I would describe it. Well put. Ruchika, I, I learned so much from you. I love the book. I absolutely devoured it. I want to tell our global audience, the title is Inclusion on Purpose, an Intersectional Approach to Creating a Culture of Belonging at Work. And it is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And I hope our listeners take advantage of this incredible new resource. And Ruchika, I hope our professional paths continue to cross. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Great questions, Caroline. I enjoyed this conversation so much. As did I. And I wish you continued success. Thank you for being such a great champion. Thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.